Welcome to Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. Life in Accounting is the podcast for everyday heroes like you working in the accounting profession. Are you ready to hear from accounting influencers, thought leaders, visionaries, and other professionals leading change in the accounting world? Then stay tuned for Mark Goldman, a CPA, the owner of Where Accountants Go, and your host. Welcome to Life in Accounting. Well, hello, everybody. I'm Mark Goldman, the host of Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. In this episode, I sat down with Professor Dennis Elam of the San Antonio location for Texas A&M. He's had a very interesting career. He started an internal audit and then eventually started teaching in San Antonio in 2003 when he joined the Texas A&M location where he was hired for the first accounting classes that were taught at Texas A&M here in San Antonio. I was very excited to be able to get some time with him to sit down and talk about his story. Dennis is an influencer in accounting education, as well as a big believer in certifications, which is something that we both definitely share. So I'm excited to be able to bring this to you. Here we go. Dennis, thank you very much for coming on the Life in Accounting Where Accounts Go podcast. I, I really appreciate you taking the time, and honestly, I'm honored. You're very well known in San Antonio, and I appreciate actually the very quick response. We just arranged this a couple days ago, so thank you very much for coming on. Well, Mark, I'm flattered that you asked. I have two weblogs myself and am probably much more into the medium of social exchange than uh, most accounting professors. So uh, glad to be here. In fact, I've been investigating this whole podcasting thing myself. Okay, wonderful. Yes, I I saw that you had a blog and I figured, well, certainly he's not going to turn me down. So (laughs) thank you. Thank you very much. So I didn't realize until I was doing a little research how long you've been a professor. How long have you been teaching here in San Antonio? I've been teaching in San Antonio since the year 2003 when I was hired for the first accounting classes for Texas A&M University, San Antonio. The school actually began in year 2000. So this is 2016. Gee, time flies. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it does. It does. Have you always been teaching strictly accounting? At, uh, yes, full time. I started at uh, what's now Texas State in 1999 and okay. taught there for four years and finished a PhD at UT and then took the job down here. Before that, I'd been an adjunct instructor at the University of Texas Permian Basin. Okay. Uh, the Permian Basin is a foreign country located way west of I-35. I 35. I think I've heard of it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I've never been there. <laughs> did you start out your career as a professor? Or how no, did you I, start? I, I did not. I graduated from UT Austin, uh, actually with a degree in finance, and then eventually completed an MBA, which is a general degree in business. And I had a job as an internal auditor for the city of Austin. Oh, okay. And learning that we were going to audit the same thing for the second year, I moved over to the budget department (laughs) and uh, worked on the budget for a year. And actually, by the end of two years, then I was actually in possession of enough knowledge to be of some help to the city of Austin. In other words, I'd gotten familiar with it. 
Sure. And before we went on, I mentioned the the importance of having a mentor. And oddly, the city had let me have time off to go back and uh, complete the master's degree, which they only offered in the daytime. Okay. And you would think that the fellow I was working for, who was a CPA, great guy, would have said, Dennis, hello, wake up. You know, you need to go take the CPA test. Sure. You know, you'd have a great future here with the city of Austin. At the time, incredibly, this was in 1971. Okay. There weren't but two CPAs working for the city of Austin. Oh, my gosh. You know, hard, hard to imagine in these days. That's amazing. That was the case back then. Yeah. But I didn't do that. And I took a job when Ross Perot actually had a brokerage firm. And that's a story for another podcast. Okay. Yes. <laughs> but we'll fast forward and just say that didn't work out amidst the great bear market of 1973, 74. So wondering what to do with myself, I was visiting with one of my friends and he said, well, you know, Tommy's working for a CPA. You're closer to being a CPA than he is, aren't you? And of course, I still had enough bravado left in me and to say, well, I just have to take the test. And that's all it takes. Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. That's all it takes. <laughs> and he actually got up off the couch. We were watching a Cowboys football game at the time and said, well, go take the test. What's wrong with you? Wow. So I went back to UT for a full semester and probably the best CPA review class in the country, Ernest Slatkovich taught it. And at the time he had contributed more questions that were actually used on the CPA test than any other human being. His intermediate accounting book was used in like a fourth of all the colleges in America. And the Glime had just come out with their first review book. You know, the timing, I couldn't have landed in the right place any better than I did to study for the test. So again, fast forward, the requirements were such that I had to take three parts at the same time. I passed all those and then took more classes and passed practice that November. Okay. Interesting. What made you decide or how did you end up getting into the teaching profession? Is that the right term, by the way? I, I, I think that's the right term. I think that's the right term. And I, sound right. Let, me, let me give you another example. And this gets back to my comment about mentoring. The finance department there at UT really liked me. And I'm, I'm not telling this part of the story to shine any light on me. I'm telling this part of the story as an example of how you need a third party to walk up to you and say, as Dirk Bentley does in his country western song, what were you thinking? <laughs> One of the professors approached me while I was in graduate school saying, Do you, would you consider staying here and getting a PhD in finance? Well, I've been going to school for five or six years, and, you know, after a while, that gets a little old. Sure. And I said, no, I, I really don't think I want to do that. What was I thinking? I could have been, I mean, they loved me there. I would have been a Ph.D. from the University of Texas at Austin, you know, which today, those kind of graduates are, are in great demand at, okay. at the best universities in the country. But I didn't do that. And again, it's an example of the importance of having a mentor to sit and talk with, because you may be facing, as Robert Frost said, those famous two paths into the woods sure. and yeah. not realizing it. The road less traveled. Yeah, the road less traveled. So eventually I ended up back in West Texas. I was a controller for a county. I had a CPA practice. Dad had a oil field maintenance construction business. In West Texas, you do lots of things because the economy is so cyclical, you never know what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. So I did that for years. And also along the way, I served five years as a federal bankruptcy trustee. Okay. Then I began teaching as an adjunct there at UTPB in accounting. 
Okay. And by 1998-99, the oil price had fallen back to $12. And believe me, when that happens, the Permian Basin grinds to a halt. Wow. So I was looking for something to do, and one of the professors from UTPB had become head of the department at Southwest Texas, now Texas State. Okay. So I called and asked if there were any sort of positions. And he said, well, I'll keep your name. And three months later, he called me back. And I told my wife and I called him back and said, do I need to come down there tomorrow (laughs) and talk to you? Uh So at any rate, I took that job as a lecturer and then enrolled in a PhD program at UT and then took the job down here in 2003. Okay. Okay. You were here when the A&M San Antonio location started, correct? Well, it actually started in 2000, but when I signed on, we were still over on the, the Palo Alto campus which is a community college here in San Antonio. Yes. Okay. Okay. I remember that now. I'm not just saying this because you're a professor and and you influence the the student community so much, but in all honesty, this is the third podcast we've recorded and you're the third person to talk about the importance of a mentor. And so, yes. (laughs) And the other two are not educators. So it's it's very interesting. And, And that's not something I'm prompting. It just, ends up coming up in everybody's career. So that's Well, you important. know, Bruce Howard was with the FHK oh, yes, CPA Bruce. firm here. And, um, you know, Bruce made the circuit of colleges here in Central Texas, and that's something Bruce talked a lot about. Bruce now is with career development at Texas State. Okay. So what do you enjoy most about being a professor? What's been the most rewarding thing? For me, I'm the product of what was probably one of the top five high school debate programs in the state of Texas. And the idea that somebody is going to pay me real money to stand up and talk about business is about as good as it's ever going to get for Dennis. There's two things that I really enjoy here. One is interaction with the top 10, 15% of the students. And the other, the nice thing about San Antonio, I don't know if San Antonio is a big, small town or a small, big town. Sure. But You and I are in multiple professional organizations. And for example, one day at San Antonio Internal Auditors, the president got up and made the observation that everybody who was anybody in internal auditing in San Antonio was in that room. And the point being, networking really works in a way that it's not possible to achieve in Houston or Dallas. You can really get to know the prominent players even though this is the seventh largest city in the U.S. and we've got a million and a half population here. Yes. And I've I've really enjoyed that. It's who you know, you know, and actually this podcast sits on the Where Accounts Go site, which has a full events page of all the accounting organization events, because I really do feel like it's important to get out and know the other professionals, regardless of whether you're a student or, or nearing retirement, honestly, it's important to know the other people in the industry. So. And that was difficult to do when I was in San Marcos. It's easy to do now <laughs> that I'm actually in San Antonio. Yes. It's something you would think a lot of, most of the accounting professors would do this, but that's not the case at all. You know, I rarely see another accounting professor at any of these meetings. That's true. There's there's a few usual suspects, and that's that's pretty much it. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. And even then, they're they're standing in the shallow end of the pool. Well, you are one of the more outgoing <laughs> <laughs> professors, at least here at San Antonio. Yeah, I'm curious, when you got into teaching, what surprised you back then? What was different than, than your expectation? What's that saying? Times change, but people don't. 
Okay. And there is great concern about the lack of educational achievement among students in America today. Well, it's nothing new. What's that, that phrase from Ecclesiastes? There is nothing new under the sun. What, what is has always been and always will be. Well, the students today are really no different than the students were when I was at UT Austin, for example. Okay. When I started at UT Austin, we had a three-point grade system, and A was three, B was two, C was one. So they changed to a four-point system, where an A was four, and so on. Sure. And I thought, well, okay, so what? Well, the Daily Text in the newspaper ran article after article about how this was going to affect your grades. I'm going, to, what do you mean affect the grade? What, what, what's the big deal here? Well, it turned out that at that time, half of the College of Business was on scholastic probation, which meant that they had an overall grade point average of less than a C. Okay. Now, back then, believe it or not, tuition was $50 a semester. <laughs> Today, even at our school, it's 60 times that amount, over $3,000 a semester. Wow. Well, regrettably, that has not resulted in an increase of 60x in effort. Okay, sure. <laughs> it's still the same old story. There's no inflation in effort. No, there's no, infl- <laughs> no, there's no inflation in effort. That's, that, that's well put. But our campus so far has really been a magnet for non-traditional students. Our average student is 32 and some are older than, than that. A lot of them already have families. And for whatever reason, they either didn't get a, a degree in their early 20s, or in some cases, they got a degree and decided that's not the right one. And they've come back to study accounting. And I have, I have more of those than you might think. That's interesting because, yes, at that point, they, they have a better understanding or, or more insight into what they want out of life. And, and what's demanded in the marketplace. Yes, yes, definitely, definitely. A student like that, a non-traditional student, how do you feel they can get the most out of their educational experience or what's what's most important or what could they do better? Well, what they tell us is we, as a growing university, have relatively small classes. In other words, how large are the classes? Well, they have been about 20, 25 people. And now we've gone to what's called a high flex environment where you can either physically come to class, you can synchronously watch on your computer from somewhere else, oh. or you can watch a recording later. Okay. okay. And that obviously helps people who work, people who have to take care of their kids. And the people who are really serious, it, it's good. I had a guy in yesterday who was telling me that he'll go back and watch what I had to say multiple times to get wow. what's going on here. Well, accounting is not memorization. It's a concept. It's a process. You know, you learn your way through this. Yes. And from that standpoint, that's that's been good. And they consistently tell us that they're not comfortable in a, a large room with 300 people, that they're paying their own way and they, they want some one-on-one. Synchronously, so they can watch live. They can watch live. Interesting. Okay. Uh, I mean, like yesterday, I actually had about three or four people physically there, but I had 10 people online. Okay. Is that offered at the other universities here in town? I have no idea. Or do you know? Well, I don't think anybody else. Uh, there are some of the universities have online classes, but I don't think anybody else is pursuing this particular. And for us, we needed to use more of our daytime classes. And since nearly everybody in the College of Business works, they've all wanted to take classes at night. So that at 1230, nobody's here. So this has allowed us to schedule classes 
throughout the day and better utilize facilities. That makes that makes a lot of sense. Sure. What are your thoughts? And this is getting away from the educational standpoint, I guess. But what are your thoughts about the future of the accounting profession? Well, what has happened is that we are very much in a transition and in a lot of ways already there. And by that, I mean a college degree is not a terminal event, the end of your education. It is rather a ticket to go take a certified exam. Okay. And if you look on my web blog, I've listed what I consider to be the more important certifications, which is to say, obviously, CPA but then certified internal auditor, certified management accountant, Uh enrolled agent, and CISA, which has to do with certification of your understanding of information systems. Yes. Okay. And I see more and more CPAs getting that certification. I do as well. Yeah. I do as well. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You you included the EA in that, and and I'm not arguing it, but... Other professionals, I think if I ask other professionals, they may forget about that one. And that's interesting that you include that. What are your thoughts on EA? Well, I had an EA in class, and he had had a position in the statewide EA organization. And he said that was a problem that people just go, well, you're just an EA. But my experience is that if you want to talk tax, you know, those guys are good at it. I understand that that was actually originally created for like IRS agents that wanted a professional designation. And as I say, I I think if you're working in a CPA firm and all you do is tax, I don't see why that isn't a viable alternative. You don't need to know anything about external auditor liability. You need to know tax. When I got into the recruiting industry um, a little over 20 years ago, uh, the EA, I, I found it was not very valued in accounting firms. And I didn't understand why, because they were some of the brighter people I knew in tax. However, now I'm starting to see it much more accepted within the CPA community. Well, accounting, sense. Yeah, accounting has gotten to be a huge field compared to when you and I started out. Yeah. I mean, most of your in my life, CPA, and that was about it. Yes. You know, that's the only thing anybody had ever heard of. Well, these other designations have been created as accountants become more and more specialized. For example, internal auditors offer like five different certifications now within their organization. Hmm. And a lot of it looks at risk management, which is what now internal auditing is all about. Let's identify our biggest risk and then what can we do about it? Okay. Okay. Interesting. Other thoughts on the profession? Well, it seems to me that the key here is not so much what's being pursued by colleges now. And I'll, I'll get shot if anybody at my school hears this, but I think the real accreditation for your school is how many of your graduates can go out and pass a certified exam. Hmm. I mean, you can say whatever you want about your school, but let's face it, this is happening everywhere. I mean, we're seeing certifications now in management, in marketing, in all these other other areas. And the reason is organizations start those exams and half the people that take them flunk. Well, that makes the exam worthwhile. We know that if you passed and benchmarked yourself with everybody else in the country that took the exam, that says something about you in terms of your motivation and ability. Yes. yes. Whereas if you have a degree, well, who knows? Yeah, it's sort of a, it's a universal sign of excellence, so to speak. Yes. Okay. You said you have a weblog. 
What is the address? Where can we find it? Oh, the address is professoreglum.typepad.com. The way it sounds. professoreglum.typepad.com. Wonderful. And if you just Google Professor Elam, it'll come up. I started the weblog in 2006. And as I mentioned, I was involved in debate and uh, extemp and persuasive speaking in high school. And I'm always stunned about how little students seem to know about that famous real world. <laughs> and the, the object here is to link what we study in class with that real world. You and I were visiting before we started, and I mentioned that I've had an article almost every day linked on this Wells Fargo brouhaha. Yes. And that demonstrates ethics, governance, and the whole issue of too big to fail, as well as my research interest in socioeconomics. So I think by doing things like that, we call attention to the students. And I also have many links on the weblog, for example, to accounting organizations like SACPA here in town, both regional and larger CPA firms. Okay. Wonderful. Wonderful. There's three questions I ask everybody at the end of the podcast that about to get to that. But before we do, is there anything else that you'd like to add? Well, we haven't touched on? it's interesting in that, and I, I touched on this at our last academic awards banquet, that if everybody gets something, it starts to lose its value. Back in the 70s, there was a movie called The Paper Chase, and it was about a first-year student at Harvard Law. And the professor gets up and talks about how the study of law is the greatest intellectual calling that one can engage in. Well, fast forward 50 years, 40 years. Now we've got so many people graduating from law school, they're suing their law schools over promises that were unfulfilled vis-a-vis their career. Well, that's not happening in accounting because it's still a very difficult test to pass. And that limits the number of people that are in the profession. So we're actually seeing law schools limit their enrollment, whereas we're seeing a continued demand. And you tell me you're in the recruiting business. There are simply still not enough well-qualified accountants. Yes, yes. From what I understand, the average age, and there are many more accountants than just CPAs, but on the CPA front, the average age of passing the exam is 30 now. Obviously, there's a shortage of CPAs for what the market is demanding. Of course, we're, we're in a high point of the cycle. You know, how long it'll last, who knows, but we're in the high part of the cycle. What's unknown, I just heard this at a meeting recently, is that we're still on the front end of the millennials reaching their 30s. And so what we're not sure about is whether or not it's a demographic issue that there's a shortage of CPAs because the average age is 30. So it's entirely possible as the millennial wave comes through that some of that may get corrected. It'll be interesting to see over the next several years. That's a topic for a whole nother podcast as well, as well. So what's been your proudest moment in your career? Well, I don't know that there is, is a proud moment. I think the continuing ongoing relationship with students and accounting professionals here in town, when I've directed or suggested that somebody talk with somebody and that results, you know, in their being hired and the the CPA calls me back and says, send me another one just like that. That's very satisfying. Here this last year as a, a research interest, I've gotten more and more interested in socionomics and was invited to speak at the Socionomics Conference in Atlanta, Georgia this year. 
And then myself and two people from the Institute went to University of Warwick in Coventry, England, and made a presentation. And we're submitting a paper to that group. So that's been interesting. That's led to uh, my getting to know Robert Prechter, who is nationally famous in financial circles and has sold about 200,000 books on serious financial topics. You've got to be one of my favorite guests. Uh, You've already set me up for at least three other podcast episodes so far in the conversation. So thank you. Tell us about a mistake you've made and what you learned from it. And, And frankly, the more colossal, the better. Well, I can think of a couple of times when I was in a good job and then that famous greener grass on the other side of the fence attracted me. Yes. And I got into a strange situation where I didn't have a support group or mentors and it did not work out well. The story here is that if you're with a group of people you like and everything is working well, well, if it's not broke, don't fix it. I've made that mistake a couple of times, and I'm very aware of that. And again, that gets back to my idea about having a mentor to go visit with before you make what could be a wrong decision. Yes, the grass is definitely not always greener. No. No. Yeah. You may see one little one thing that looks a little better, but frequently you're not seeing the whole picture. That's very true. That's very true. Well, our audience accounts of all types at all levels in Texas. However, I suspect many of the people that will listen to this podcast are going to be students or, or close to that time in their life, just you know, giving you as the guest. What one piece of advice would you like to leave everybody with? Well, I think the piece of advice I would leave the students with is that the sooner you focus on an accounting certification and start studying for that while you're still in school, you can get the preparation materials for any of these exams we've talked about and start studying them. You're taking tax class, you can study for the tax part of a test. You're taking audit, you can study for the audit part of the test. But the sooner you do that, the better, because the tests are hard and they're not getting easier. And again, you're in the manager recruiting business. I suspect that more and more, the lack of a certification is going to be a barrier to your moving up in the profession. Yes. Yes. Yeah. We see it all the time. And and that that's actually, that's what's sad about the situation is that not having a certification has very little effect on the beginning of your career. It's after the rest of your life has started, after studying is becoming much harder because you're out of practice that all the jobs all of a sudden start to request a certification. And if you're sitting there without one, it becomes a much bigger sacrifice at that point to go ahead and do. Well, in fact, passing one of those exams is all about making a short-term sacrifice to achieve a long-term goal, right? If you need to go borrow $10,000, quit what you're doing, and hold yourself up in a hotel next to a review center... That may be the best thing you can do for yourself. While that sounds strange, in a day and age when an average new car is $30,000 and will only go down in value, your investment in yourself and passing one of these tests will cause you as an asset to only go up in value. Yes, yes. Well, $10,000 may be the difference of one year's salary, (laughs) you know, being, being certified and not regardless of the certification. So you're right. Well, what's the best way to reach you for anybody in the listening audience that wants to get a hold of you? I've got several emails and certainly dennis.elam at att.net. Okay, wonderful. 
Well, we will have that in the show notes as well. Thank you very much. I really do appreciate, sincerely appreciate you coming on the show. It's been good to visit with another professional here in San Antonio about the growing accounting profession that we have here. Well, thank you again. I hope to have you on again soon. All right. Thanks, Mark. Thanks. Well, that was my discussion with Professor Dennis Elam of Texas A&M here in San Antonio. If you'd like to follow up with Professor Elam, his contact information, as well as a link to the blog he mentioned, will be in the show notes. And on that note, if you are checking this out on the web, make sure to check out the rest of the Where Accountants Go website as well. Well, this has been another episode of Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast, and there's more to come.